This week, we're taking issue with failure. The failure to govern after Republicans kill an immigration deal that they themselves negotiated. A failure to remember Joe Biden at the center of a scathing special counsel report over his handling of classified information and a failure to understand nuance in the governor's office. I'm Corey. I'm Sue. And this is Taking Issue. Our nation was born here, not with a whimper, but with the spark of revolution. One more indictment and this election is closed out. That's what democracy is. It's a choice of the people, by the people, and for the people. Hello and welcome to another edition of Taking Issue. That is NBC10 Boston political commentator Sue O'Connell. I am Corey Smith. Matt Pritchard is on assignment, so unfortunately he cannot join us. But we appreciate you being here. A lot to get to this week. We'll start in Congress and the immigration deal that was until it wasn't. Republicans have decided, you know what, we think we can get a better deal. And scuppered the negotiations that they did with the Senate and with the White House on stemming the tide of crossings at the southern border. Funding also for Ukraine and Israel was tied up into it. Just your thoughts on how this all went down, how we went from an expression of we're close to, yeah, let's start all over. It's, uh, that's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous to me. This has been 30 years of Congress, their inaction in getting something done on the border, on immigration, on migrants, however you want to slice it. There has been nothing done. We still have DACA kids yeah. who don't have any, don't have a route or a path to citizenship. Who weren't involved in that deal. At all. Democrats said, you know what, fine, we'll, we'll deal with that later. We'll give you some more things of what you want. Right, and if you read this, if you, you know, came back, you know, from, from 1990 and read this deal that, that was authored that the Democrats said they would pass, that Joe Biden, a Democratic president who campaigned on, you know, a better immigration, a fair, a humane immigration policy, said he would sign that would give him the authority to close the border. And every president after him, by the way, not just Joe Biden, if you just objectively read it, you say the Democrats are never going to go for this. This is too far for the Democrats. And somehow, because of Trump behind the, the, behind the curtain, um, it, it wasn't enough for the Republicans when there's been nothing that happened for 30 years. So it is just an outrageous uh, inaction on behalf of the Republicans. It shows how much Trump has his fingers in everything. And from a, just sort of an objective standpoint, Corey, if I'm running for president, my party's running for president in a competitive election, I would like my party to look organized. I would look like my party to look like they can do something. And instead, what the Republicans have done is given the Democrats a contrast, right? The chaos of Trump, as Nikki Haley would say, the chaos of Republicans versus the Democrats, who now have a president who is saying, I would close the border, wink, wink, nod, nod, and I just don't see how this is in any way, shape, or form a win for Republicans. To that point, I've always thought a good way to go about getting deals done in Congress because people want to get things done in Congress, but they're, they're so far up against this timeline of, I have time to get things done now, which is about the, maybe the first eight months to a year they're in office. Because then once that second year hits, now it's time to run for re-election. I don't want to do anything because I don't want to hurt my chances at re-election. That gets maximized when you're in a presidential election year. I just think things will get done in government in much better where we say, you know what, okay, how about this? How about 12 months or eight months out from an election? We do things where we can both go back to our home districts and say, we got this deal done 
and we won. The Republicans can say we won because they've, they've given the president the power to shut down the border. Democrats can say we won because we're gonna give more work permits to these folks because we need more laborers. We are going to speed up the immigration process because there now is more money for judges to, to, to push these people through the system. I just think that if they could come to some sort of gentleman's or, or gentlewomanly agreement of, let's just do things where both parties can go home and say they won, things will get done, but they, but they don't wanna do that. I also think not only is this deal dead, it, I, I think Mitch McConnell's power within the Republican party is, is on its last legs. When, when Chuck Schumer came out and said, I have never worked with the minority leader on something as much as me and Mitch McConnell worked on getting this deal done, and Josh Hawley said that is the problem, mm -hmm. then I think any sort of power that Mitch McConnell had or any, any sort of opposing force that he had in his party up against the sort of MAGA base is gone. Except I wouldn't count him out yet because he no, is because like Baltimore. He, he, yeah, he, yeah he, he's still, <laughs> you know. he, he's still he, he, him and Pelosi, I think, are two of the best at the legislative yeah. jujitsu that it takes to be a, a majority uh, party and, and run a majority party in Congress. But to hear him go into a meeting and tell his colleagues, you need to vote for this, here is why. And then to come out and say, I'm not voting for that. Right. I just think it just, it, it smacks of, an, it smacks of politicizing an issue for political gain and any sort of excuse that the Republicans had that wasn't Donald Trump didn't want this to happen is gone because right. at the end of the day, Donald Trump did not want this to happen. And so Republicans said it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, but, you know, a lot can happen between now and November. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, who's going to be left standing, which Republicans, and I don't mean that by who's getting elected, but who's going to be left, left standing in, in, with power in the Senate and in the House is really going to be in completely dependent upon uh, what happens uh, in this upcoming presidential election. So it, I've just never, ever seen any, I mean, we say this all the time, but it is uh, outrageous to me that, that something that actually both parties would look at, to your point, as a win, it just died. What do you make of sort of the progressive pushback to this deal saying, why did you give the Republicans anything? on asylum or, or shutting down the border. Let's, let's not cheer that you got this bipartisan deal done when it, when it goes against everything that our, our values say we, we yeah. are. Do you think that's a little maybe far left Twitter or far left X you know, speaking up? Or do you think prog the progressive left really has an argument that this was a bad deal? No, I, so I think a, a couple of things and they're all cynical and they're all inside baseball. One is, Nobody on the left, no one on the progressive left was going to think this was a good idea. And there's almost nothing that a compromise between the Democrats and the Republicans that was going to be put forward, they were going to think is going to be a good idea. Because um, the idea of having a more open border, having a, a larger, more robust asylum uh, list of things that you can apply asylum for, that's not going to happen. So they're going to register their unhappiness and their displeasure no matter what happened with it. And at the same time, at some point, not long into this, it became clear it wasn't going to pass. And I often say that what candidates can do, like Joe Biden does, walking around right now going, I'm going to, I'd close the border right away, wink, wink, nod, nod, 
And if you are a savvy progressive, you knew it wasn't going to happen. You knew he was saying it so that he can appeal to the general election voters by saying, I was here, I want to do this, making the Republicans look worse, not that mm -hmm. they needed a lot of help. So I think a lot of that is just political maneuvering. If we ever, in the next 30 years, get another another agreement that will do something to, to immigration, uh, both sides are not going to be happy. This is definitely one of those, you know, when you, when you uh, work at negotiating and compromise, folks are unhappy with both of them. But again, it's been 30 years and we've had no progress. And I think also for the progressives, as, as the Democrat, Democratic Party has, has now had to do on multiple issues, there was enough cover to allow those progressive members of the Democratic yes. Party to vote no right. and still have the bill passed. Exactly. They can go home to their, to their district and say, right. we got, they got some things, but I voted no for this way. And, and the folks hearing that could look at them and say, okay, I understand that. I get that. I, I, and I, I agree with you. Yep. But at the same time, we did get something done. That does take away a talking point for the Republican Party that Joe Biden is, is weak on the border. And this is what Hakeem Jeffries and what Nancy Pelosi before him are able to do, which is to say to someone who's very progressive, we have enough votes. You don't have to vote for this. That's, that's historically where Nancy Pelosi was a genius and where Hakeem Jeffries is showing that he too has that skill. And the Republicans can't get in line. Uh, part two of that failure to govern also hits on the immigration issue. Um, you can be a member of Congress and not be good at math. We learned that <laughs> this past week. Mike Johnson calls this vote to impeach uh, Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and loses because he did he had the, he had the numbers if a Democratic member of Congress was still going to be in the hospital. But Al Green showed up and said, no, 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 I, I'm here. Let's vote. And it's just another pie in the face of Mike Johnson. And then his his standalone Israel funding bill also gets defeated in the House. It was just a, an all around bad day for him. It's also basic, I mean, to your math. It's, it's just, you, you don't bring something to the floor unless you're trying to make a point, right? Unless you wanna prove that someone's gonna vote against it or someone's gonna vote for it, unless there's an agenda to bringing it to the floor to fail, mm -hmm. which sometimes mm -hmm. there is. To get a vote on record or something like that. Exactly, yeah. that's the only time you would do that. And I've, you know, I have been, uh, there was a, um, I think it was a same-sex marriage bill that was uh, brought to the floor in the early, mid-1990s once, and the senator from Hawaii had to get called out, and they didn't have enough votes, but it fell apart because of illness and because people couldn't be there, and that was a disaster. So to have it be a disaster when you're the controlling party <laughs> and you had enough, it's, it's, it's outrageous. And also just how a bit macabre is it that in order for this ultimately to happen, They've got to go get Steve Scalise, who's being treated for a very serious medical issue right, on, the Republican side. on the Republican side, to come into Congress to make this happen, to, to prove a point. And also, by the way, he's not going to get found guilty by the Senate. Right. They, Democrats have control of the Senate. Nothing is going to happen to Alejandro Mayorkas. And also, by the way, you kind of need him to solve the immigration problem right. because this deal that you negotiated, he was going to have to implement. Yeah. But now you don't want him in the office because he's a dereliction of duty, but you're so not giving him recap, the option to do his duty. Instead of returning to their district saying, We've tightened asylum laws. The president can close the border. Uh, we have a certain number of migrants that can cross over, and after that, things will change. They're now going home saying, we tried to impeach somebody and failed. I, I, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, just, I just have 
Chip Roy in the back of my mind saying, what have we done for the American people since we had the majority? Absolutely nothing. So, so that's, that's the, uh, that was a big issue to, to start last week, the biggest issue to start last week, until the headline on Thursday, uh, the report, uh, special counsel report on President Biden's handling of classified information, uh, complete with pictures, on the record testimony, exact quotes that really painted a negative portrait of the president's handling of those classified documents being in boxes in his garage and wicker basket, all that kind of stuff, uh, sharing it with his with, with his ghostwriter, um, and also a very bad portrait of Joe Biden, the man, um, and his memory and his age. Uh, obviously, a lot of the talk has been about some of the more um, extreme examples uh, of his of his you know issues with memory the the special counsel um, his first name escapes me but her is is, yeah. is, is his last name um, talking about how Joe Biden didn't remember when his vice presidential term was Joe Biden didn't remember uh, when his son Bo died mm-hmm. um, you have folks on the left saying that here you have a special counsel who said Joe Biden willfully kept documents but there is not enough here to prosecute him because there's just not enough case there but also he would have been a sympathetic defendant folks on the left saying you didn't have anything you didn't have the facts so you just pounded the table and took these cheap shots Mm -hmm. at joe biden i just want to get your reaction to that having having read through um this report and 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 the merits of it his mishandling of classified documents but also sort of the personal shots, for lack of a better term, that were taken. Yeah, so I would say, first of all, every American should be horrified that we don't have a national archive of classified documents, yeah. right, for everyone. And, and this came true when Mike Pence has been investigated. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of people, I'm sure, who've worked in a white, any White House under any administration have classified documents at home that they're now wondering what they're going to do with. Most of them are unimportant. I mean, right. just to be clear, just because it's classified doesn't mean it's the most terrible thing. So um, there have been a number of scholars over the past 10 years who have written about this leaky classified document problem that we have. So I hope if one thing comes out of all of this, it's that we need to do a better job tracking our classified documents. Um, Second, as we're talking today on Friday, there's press conferences happening in Washington pointing to Ronald Reagan and how Ronald Reagan brought home classified documents, how Ronald Reagan was writing a memoir, how he shared his classified documents without declassifying them with a ghostwriter, with someone who was working on them. I'm sure there are a lot of examples of former vice presidents, presidents, and senators doing the same thing. So that is all true. Um, Should he have done it? Probably not. I'm thrilled he keeps them in a wicker basket, just like I do in the garage (laughs) next to my ladder. I don't feel so bad about my organizational skills at the moment. Um, So I feel good about that. But to the point, um, he did cooperate. He did take them. Uh, I think it looks like he took them to prove he was right about the war and to talk about some other things. I don't buy that he doesn't remember when his son Bo died. That I, I most recently listened to Anderson Cooper's podcast, uh, All There Is, about grief, and Joe Biden appears on it. Uh, He clearly can tell you every terrible moment of his son's death from his his diagnosis to his last words on the deathbed. If he confused whether it was last year, five years ago, we all do that. I don't really think that that's a major issue. And I, I think to a point you made earlier, Corey, when we were talking 
in the newsroom. Uh, how many times do people get on the stand and say, I don't remember about things, and we don't know whether they're telling the truth or not? I think that's a lot about nothing. But um, it doesn't help Joe Biden. Uh, I said earlier this week uh, on GBH, I said that if I were running the Biden campaign, I would lock him up in the basement and not let him out. And then this happened. And now I'm let, I'm like, let him off the leash. Let Joe be, let Joe. Joe, be Joe. He has been making gaffes since the moment he walked on the national stage. He's going to continue to make gaffes. If you are making a decision whether or not to vote for him based on the stupid crap that he has been saying for 40 years, then if that's the most important thing to you, then I, I feel bad for you. And I think, you know, the, the media is, is, is trying to sort of be objective and, and put out the facts. Did Trump and Biden both keep documents? Yes. Did Trump and Biden both give those documents back willingly and in a prompt manner? No. no. There's the difference. Then they move to Joe Biden and President Trump are both old. But there appears to be more of the age question on Biden's end than with Trump, who is only a few years younger than Biden, who has made as many, if not more, gaffes. And if you've watched him speak lately, when, when Trump gets going and starts to ramble, he can sort of get tongue-tied and, and not make mm -hmm. any sort of, of, of sense with what he's saying. They've trotted out the, the clip of him mistaking uh, Nikki Haley for Nancy Pelosi on January 6th repeatedly. Um, Mike Johnson was on Meet the Press and mistook Israel for Iran. Mm -hmm. um, people mess up. I think, I think the, the difference, I'll say two things. I think the difference is when Trump misspeaks, you, you, you know, you, I guess you can kind of understand what, what, he, what he was trying, trying to say. When Biden misspeaks, I think you can understand what he was trying to say. For me, the difference is, if I don't understand Joe Biden saying something or if he misremembers something, I can say, okay, he has misremembered or he's made a gaffe. But I know what Joe Biden believes. I know where he stands on policy issues mm -hmm. and things like that. When Trump misspeaks, when Trump says some non sequitur, I can say, okay, I think I know what he was trying to say, but at the same time, I think voters out there say, I don't know if I know what Trump believes. Um, and I, and I, think, I think that is, is one sort of d distinction that maybe needs to be made. And, and I say that from the standpoint of the thing that is really, and I've said this to, to Sue in the newsroom plenty of times, the thing that is killing me about this election cycle from our standpoint as the media, as a journalist, it's this almost desperation to turn this into a battle of personalities. It's mm -hmm. Trump versus Biden, when really it's a battle of policies. It is Trump and his MAGA base Republican Party versus Joe Biden and his liberal Democratic Party. Put their policies on paper. Mm -hmm. Take their names out of it. People are going to choose what they believe. I said that to Governor Sununu when we had him on the show, this whole notion that people, nobody wants Trump or Biden. They're politically homeless. Mm -hmm. No, they're not. They may not like either of them personality-wise and because of a host of, of different issues, but when you put their policies on paper, you're going to go in that voting booth, and I think voters go, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm just being naive, but I just think voters go into the voting booth and say, who do my values and my political ideology line up with the best? I don't think any woman in suburban Michigan who wants her reproductive rights not dictated to her by the government is gonna go into the ballot box and say, I want this, but Joe Biden's old. 
So I'm going to go with the guy who, who wants the complete opposite of what I do. Look at the policies. And I, I just, I would import, no matter where you stand, yeah. just look at the policies, not, not, not the personality. And, and I get it, you know, our, our business, the TV business especially, we're thirsty for eyeballs and ratings. Newspapers want clicks and things like that. But for every hour segment and political pundit session on Joe Biden's age, I wish they did. Here's what Republicans want to do on affordable housing. Here's what Democrats want to do on affordable housing. And yeah. just and just show me that distinction because that's what matters. And compare the presidencies. We actually have this bizarre situation where we have two presidents running for president. Compare the presidencies. And did you like this? Did you like this? Which do you like more? You're basically always voting for an administration. You're not voting for the person. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, it's always how it, that the personality, the cult of personality, you obviously have to have that to be a candidate to get to that stage. There's no doubt about that. Um, but this whole, who do I want to have a beer with stuff has always driven me crazy. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. And, and, and it's not, and it's not just in this example of, of Joe Biden and Trump and their age. And, you know, as a, as a black journalist, as a black man, to see some of the interviews that are done with black voters about why they have maybe soured on Joe Biden and, and, and considering Donald Trump, just the lack of informed opinion. Now, look, it is not a journalist's job to defend Biden's policies or defend, or defend Trump's policies, but it is a journalist's job to inform the public on what their policies are. What have they done? What do they want to do? So when I hear black voters say things and then the, the journalists who has interviewed them not informing them about what's going on, that to me is you're leaving that voter uninformed. And also you're not getting the best out of this interview right now. You know, and it, to hear black voters say Joe Biden broke his promise on student loan forgiveness. Well, no, he didn't. He did student loan forgiveness. The courts struck it down. That's American democracy. And then he said, okay, I can find other ways to do this. The man has forgiven $135 billion or so of student loan forgiveness. So to sit here and say that he's done nothing on it, I, 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 want, I wish interviewers would say, well, actually, hold on, wait That's a second. That's factually wrong. That, that is factually wrong. Does it change perhaps how you feel about him knowing that information? So it's the lack of follow-ups are, are driving me nuts in this cycle. Um, and it's, and it's, it's really just sad to see because it's being done at a national level. I think we do a, a pretty decent job here on the local mm -hmm. level. Watch local news. If all politics yeah. are local, you need to watch your local political news. But I just wish some of the, the, the main talking heads at these media outlets would really just, not, not to say that Biden's age doesn't matter and Trump's age doesn't matter. It, they, do, they do matter. But at the end of the day, if you can't show me any evidence of their age playing a role in their ability to do the job, mm -hmm. then at the end of the day, it's kind of really not going to matter when I go into that voting booth. People still buying tickets to see Mick Jagger. Right. You know, so I, I, I don't e. know. Eugene Carroll, she was 80. No one's worried about that. Right. Yeah. It's, so I don't know. And then the, the last thing I'll say about the age Rod thing. Rod Stewart looked pretty good <laughs> last week. I saw him. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about the age thing is um, Trump's grab him by the P statement yeah. that came out in 2016 right before the election didn't uh, ultimately didn't matter. When it's all said and done, this report, I think Biden's age is going to continue to be an issue because they're going to continue to make it an issue. But I, it's February. I don't think this is going to matter. Come no, no so. not at all. All right. Uh, for our final segment, we'll bring it home. Uh, Maura Healy has appointed um, a seasoned veteran 
jurist, litigator, whatever you want to call her, to uh, a vacant state Supreme Court seat, Gabrielle Wolohogen. Um, she is obviously very qualified, but she is also a former romantic partner of Governor Healy. That has led to some pushback from Mass GOP, from some conservative folks in Massachusetts, um, as just sort and of and some a, other folks too. I've and, seen and some, some yeah, yeah, I've and seen some, some other pushback. folks as yeah. to as to you know why would why is was there not anybody better? Um, do you feel like this was maybe an unforced error on the governor's part, or is this a, a nothing burger, if you will? So I, I have a complicated answer to this, Corey, okay. and it's based on um, being gay, mm -hmm. it's based on gender norms, mm -hmm. it's based on where we are in history. So I think it's pretty safe to say that our former governors uh, did not have spouses. Our male former governors and even our female former governor, Jane Swift, did not have spouses who were in the workplace in an area where they would be appointed to something by their husband, their ex-husband, their wife, their ex-wife when they left office mm -hmm. or when they, they moved on, so, or if they divorced. So it's a unique situation, I think, which is um, elevated because uh, I'm not exactly sure when they were together, but marriage as an institution was not available and many of us mm -hmm. built our lives expecting we were not gonna be able to get married. Mm -hmm. So you had to build a life a certain way. It is likely when you have two adults who don't have children and don't, don't have children in their lives that they're gonna have two accomplished careers because mm -hmm. one of them doesn't have to stay home with the kids as our former governor's wives have had to in the past. And it's also um, basically my favorite thing about Massachusetts is telling people about the governor's council. <laughs> and we have this governor's council that was put into place during the revolution to keep an eye on how the British governors acted as good stewards of Massachusetts. So Maury Healy's nomination has to go to a governor's council for approval. It was also a nomination uh, that was seen by a panel. And again, she is an extremely qualified person for this job. But I think it really does, it's sort of like a, a, a vortex here of gender norms, uh, what it's like to be a lesbian, being the first in a position where suddenly you, you, have, you don't have a divorce, mm -hmm. you've got an ex-romantic partner because you necessarily couldn't have gotten married. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly they could at some point, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason. So I think it isn't a nothing burger, but I, I have to salute um, what Governor Healy said about it, like she shouldn't be punished just because she was in a relationship yeah. with me. Yeah. And, and it was public knowledge yes. that when, when she was- When she was attorney general, right. she was a judge. I mean, right. this, was not, this was not a secret. It was never a secret. There's, n there's no, n no sleight of hand here by any means. It, they were publicly together and it was publicly known. And I think at the end of the day, she's an accomplished jurist. She's obviously very well suited for, for the position. She knows, she knows what she's doing. Um, so so I, I, I think it's one of those things that is ultimately gonna go away. Right. Nobody, nobody's gonna really care. Um, all right, before we go, some, uh, some tasting issue tidbits like we did last week. Yeah. Uh, we got news that they, uh, the city of Boston is considering a building in Fort Point mm -hmm. to house migrants uh, because the rec center over on Melnia Cass Avenue is filling up. Um, at some point, do you think we are going, this is going to be a, a continued pattern, knowing that Congress can't get its act together? Yeah, I mean, there's two things that are happening at the same time. Also, the Charlestown residents mm -hmm. who are suing uh, the city because the city wants to convert a hotel to housing. Um, we all want things, right? Um, if the migrants are here, we want the migrants to be taken care of, 
you don't want them out homeless on right. the streets, even if you don't want them here, whatever your point of view is, the state is going to have to find places to put them. Uh, and we are all going to have to shoulder that burden of having migrants living in uh, either state buildings or buildings that the state is leasing mm -hmm. for the purpose of housing them. And until Congress does something, this is just a reality of where we are today. And the not in my backyard issue, along with the migrants and along with the housing issue, we can't have more housing unless we build more houses. Mm -hmm. And I understand that if you own a really nice piece of property and there's a limit on how many pieces of property are there, the value of your home goes up. And if there's more homes, the value will go down. So we are fighting ourselves with our not in my backyardism and trying to protect our pieces of property when we have a housing crisis, which if any one of us is suddenly unable to live here or loses their job, we will be unable to live here. So it's a complicated problem that's that is going to be an issue, I think, for at least the next 10 years. Uh, it feels like it happened three months ago, uh, but the Newton teacher strike just ended. Just your thoughts on, on the reaction to this deal and, and the fact that you still do have some parents taking the union to court um, over over walking out of the classroom for, what, 11, I guess, 11 days total? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm always conflicted about strikes of public employees, of police officers, firefighters, teachers. Um, but at the same time, that was a, a negotiation that went on for over a October year. October 2022 is when they their contract ended. And I, from what I could see beside the obvious class size, raised for teacher aides, I mean, why would you take a job where you have to have at least a four-year career, a four-year college degree, and in order to continue your career growth, you need to get a master's, you need to have continued education, you need to take certification in a, in a variety of things, and then not be guaranteed a cost of living raise. Like, who would do this? And I understand, listen, I've, I'm, I'm a parent, my kid has been out for various reasons when teachers or schools close, the COVID, we're still fresh from having our mm -hmm. kids home from COVID, that was a horrible experience. I understand the anger about the situation, but the problem again, isn't the teachers. The problem is that they were not getting a decent wage and there's no place for them to live to afford to live here. So this is again a problem that we all have. Um, I, again, I, I don't know who's gonna pay the fees. I don't know if we're ever gonna change the law that public officials, public employees can't go out on strike, but I, I, it's obviously a problem that should have been solved earlier. All right, and our final taking issue tidbit for this week is outdoor dining is the North End getting the short end of the breadstick? No. No? No, listen, the North End is uh, this wonderfully unique neighborhood that's almost a hill. And mm -hmm. before the big dig, it was cut off. You know, you had to walk through a tunnel to get there. Um, there are residents who live in the South End. It's not just about the restaurant owners. And we, listen, my family goes to the North End at least once a month. We are North End fans. And you're there at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night in the summertime and it's like Mardi Gras, right? So the residents are the ones who are pushing back on how much of this they can tolerate. Now I know, yes, you move to the North End, you get what you get, you don't get upset, but at the same time, I think there's a compromise here. I also think there's just a few restaurants and a few restaurant owners who are really pushing forward this war against Michelle Wu. Um, but I think that there should be compromise because I'd, I'd love to have some of the streets closed and, and not almost get hit by a car or a bike or the guy who's outside of Mike's Pastry with the bullhorn trying to raise money all the time. And when we interviewed Michelle Wu for uh, this week's uh, edition of Ad Issue, she said that they are working on yeah. 
a compromise. Speaking of Mayor Wu, she is going to be on that issue this Sunday, 1130, right here on NBC 10 Boston, right after Meet the Press. But we're going to put that conversation into a podcast as well. So it'll be a sort of midweek extra, if you will, uh, for taking issue. But that's going to do it for this week's show. We appreciate you, as always, listening and watching wherever you get your podcasts or wherever you stream your news. For Sue O'Connell, I'm Corey Smith. We will talk to you next week. Thank you.